Hello, my name is Dr. Mercurio Arborea, and I am the founder of the Arborea Institute. Through our unique blend of benign pharmacology, sensory therapy, and energy sculpting, we can guide you to a new, better, happier you. You're about to embark on a great journey. Let the new age of enlightenment begin. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. It's no longer a theory. What I'm about to say is fact. The secret organizations of the world power elite are no longer secret. They have planned and are now leading us into a one world communist government. Welcome useless eaters to the Odd Man Out podcast where we talk about hidden history, de-political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the odd man. Welcome. All right, guys, this week I have a great guest. I've been waiting to talk to him, and I know that he has a wealth of information to share with us. And some of you may be familiar with his website, truefreethinker.com. This week I have Ken Ami on. Ken? Yes, thanks sir. For, hey, thanks for being on, Ken. I've been looking forward to talking with you. I visited your website quite a bit in the past. And uh, I was really happy to make contact with you on Twitter. So I've been looking forward to this. Likewise. So before we get really hot and heavy into any one subject, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, just for the people that don't know, and just your, I think I counted 18 books that you've written so far. Is that correct? Oh, you must have miscounted. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, I actually always joke that I should know my own canon, but I haven't counted in a while. But I know it's somewhere between 45 and 50, probably. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was just, I was taking the simple way out and I, I saw your, um, you know, in your email, it has the picture of your book cover. Some oh, of your book yes. covers. So I think there's 18 on there. And I just assumed that they were right. 18. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I fit them all in a little snippet like that that they'd be too small to see i guess right yeah <laughs> that makes sense wow that's amazing that's a lot of books I, and i just have uh, aspirations to write one in my lifetime so that's <laughs> that's well, very I'll tell you um one thing is i always joke but it's true if i could memorize everything i've written in books i would be a genius but that doesn't seem to be happening <laughs> right <laughs> right and and the thing is, there's times where I write, I finish a book and I go, well, that's it. I'm tapped out. That's the end of it. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute. Here comes another one and another one and another <laughs> one. So like um, I'm writing a book currently, but I took a break from writing a book to write a different book. So <laughs> oh. that's just how it goes for me. <laughs> well, a lot of people would uh, just be thankful to have that problem on their hands. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. So you said the current book you're writing is about uh, UFO and alien symbology in movies. Is is that correct? Well, it's, it's about, yeah. um, Movies that have alien and UFO themes in it. Gotcha. Okay. And the thing is um, I got up to about page 500 and I thought, okay, this is obviously going to turn into a series of books because I don't want to just put out a massive book on it. And then the more movies I thought of, the more I wanted to review. So that's it. I'm going to just turn it into shorter, less expensive books and turn it into a series because I think that makes it more digestible. Yeah, I would think so, especially today with everyone's short attention span. <laughs> that, that too. I love to read and I've got a ton of books and my wife keeps telling me, you're, 
you need to stop buying so many books. We're running out of room, but uh, you know, I, I, I kind of jump around in books. I'm really bad about that because usually I'm researching for a show or writing a blog and I'm trying to get to certain information. So I have to turn in a specific page or chapter or, or several chapters and uh, which I, you don't really get to enjoy a book like that, but uh, it just kind of goes with the territory. I it, guess. It, yes, it is true. I mean, I, I have, maybe 4,000 books in my garage and boy, I don't even know how to get rid of them nowadays. What am I supposed <laughs> to do with them? Right. But right. the thing is, yes, it, uh, for a researcher, it is different. We maybe won't tend to read books cover to cover because instead of reading one whole book, we might read five or more books uh, that contain information we need and just kind of pick out what we need from. Them. So it is different, a different sort of reading for a researcher huh. for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why, for instance, I've been looking at a book recently that has no index. And to a researcher, that's just bad news. Yeah, it sure I mean, that's is. That's just a, a basic tool that we really need. And it's really annoying when that's not there. Yeah, I, there is a fellow that uh, I reference a lot in my shows. Uh, his, his name's uh, Dennis L. Cuddy. And um, he's done a, a great job on really documenting the early rise of the new world order and kind of the uh, from the, the kind of Cecil Rhodes days on up to the last few years. But most of his books do not have an index. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, Oh, I spend so much time because he's a great researcher and I don't know why that he doesn't go to the trouble of doing that. But that and is I'll frustrating. What, um, maybe 20 years ago, roughly when I was first trying to get a book published, the publisher said, well, it'll cost three, $400 for an index. Oh. It's like, wait a minute. You mean the thing at the end of the book with the words and numbers, I'll do that myself. Right. But the thing is nowadays you can do it in seconds with uh, the word program. Now it's almost right. automatic. It's totally different. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. That makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah, the um, the way that technology has changed has changed the way that we can do research as well, I found. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. And I can imagine that uh, you said that you, you're turning your uh, your newest project into a series. And um, there is just so much symbolism. And uh, you just hear constantly nowadays about aliens or about uh, UFOs in particular. Of course, it's been in movies for a long time, but it seems like it's even more so in movies now. And, you know, they even talk about UFOs in the mainstream news in the last few years, too. So it's really uh, prevalent that you hear about that. That's one thing I was doing in my book is pulling out some of the stories just from 2020, where, you know, uh, we think we found water on the moon. We think we found the constituents of life on Venus. And then... uh, this government allegedly claims that we've had contact with aliens and it's one one news story after another one. Whereas it's almost like if you believed in much less talked about UFOs and aliens, you were nuts. Where nowadays if if you deny it, you're nuts. Right. Yeah. And in, 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 in the meantime, uh, you know, the, the, the corporate news still won't even mention the council on foreign relations <laughs> and, you know, they work directly with their government. And it's like, uh, it makes you wonder why they have chosen to start talking about it. Uh, do, do you kind of feel that same way? Well, I mean, it's almost like the way 2020 has worked out or the way that it's been, uh, <laughs> designed is you just get a blender you throw every one of even the wackiest conspiracy theories you'd ever imagine and you hit blend and there's 2020 just everything <laughs> i mean it's it's over it's frankly it's overwhelming I you're right it overwhelming yeah yeah you're, very, you're correct yeah so form an orderly line to apologize to all those people you've been calling nuts for all these years yeah exactly because <laughs> now it's out <laughs> in the open it's like hey uh you know nasa through the or the, the navy through nasa is saying yeah we have these videos of uh we don't know what uh some kind of craft and everyone's like 
<sighs> what's next <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're right you're right it's so we get used to things so quickly and uh it's just amazing to think about what all we get used to and we're just like oh yeah i'm tired of that go on to the next thing and <laughs> it makes you wonder if things will continue to be like that the crazier and crazier the world becomes if it does become more crazy <laughs> Well, it's like uh, Bill Maurer once stated that uh, he, he says, watch movies from 20 years ago because everything in movies uh, comes to life. You know? That's true. So yeah, then that's... you get into the issue of does art imitate life or does life imitate art? Mm -hmm. The classic question, right? Which is actually right. a classic false dichotomy because it's both. It goes both ways. Yeah. Like yeah one I... thing I was focusing on in this book is every bit of fiction is based on somebody's real life worldview. You, you can't escape it mm -hmm. or, or else your story would be so absolutely abstract. It would be just, it would be um, unwatchable and incomprehensible. It would just be more like some kind of phantasmagoric acid trip or something. And I mean, that might be fun for some people sometimes, but it wouldn't make for a good story. That's for sure. Right. Yeah. And you know, you, I wonder too, like you know, everybody kind of has their own ideas, but uh, there was a book, I think in the late sixties called the report from iron mountain. And it was supposedly a, an, a government insider who wrote the book. And then later on from what I've read, they said, no, the, the author said, no, he wasn't a government insider. But it was this series of all these different programs that supposedly the federal government had as backup plans for different scenarios. And uh, one was uh, to fake, to stage an alien invasion if the people ever got too out of hand and started pushing back against the government. And so it kind of makes you wonder. I think, I think even Ronald Reagan mentioned in a speech something to that effect that it would take something like an alien invasion to bring the people together or something like that. I yes, forget yeah. now. Yes, you're right. Uh, Reagan was extremely explicit having said that more than once that he could see that bringing the world together. So it, it does kind of make you wonder what, uh, you know, if the powers that be have something planned for us, that's, is it going to be real? Is it going to be fake? What's the, the going to be the reasoning behind it? It's um, you know it's up in the air, but uh, one can't can't help but wonder what they what they're doing. Right, because potentially something like that would not only potentially bring the world together in terms of well, okay, so I guess the first thing to deal with isn't exactly um, it'd be like are are they are the supposed aliens benevolent or malevolent? Because it doesn't actually matter because both potentially would bring the world together, right? To either uh, fight against them or else accept them. Since in a way they could really cut through any division, right? Even um, so, uh, sociopolitical divisions and religious divisions, they could potentially cut through all of them and just be accepted. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, of course, um, a lot of people, you know, the, the ancient aliens theory and, um, you know, a lot of people think that we came from aliens and that's right. kind of, you see that pushed a lot more in the oh, last yeah. few years as well. So, because in a way it's the more secular a society becomes, the more pagan it becomes. And then, there's also a, a seeking for something above and beyond something transcendent. And if you're taking a secularist view, then what's that works greater than humanity. It would have to be some kind of um, other, right? Some holy other thing. And if you're not willing to say that that's God, then it has to be something like an alien, right? Right. Exactly, And then, then you get into this weird um, thing I consider a, a non sequitur, which is um, high-tech ergo, high spirituality. And, and that's not 
necessarily doesn't necessarily follow, mm-hmm. right? I mean, what what if our astronauts landed on an inhabited planet? Is the fact that they're good engineers also mean that they're good theologians or spiritualists <laughs> or, or whatever you want to call it? And in fact, uh, from what we know, <laughs> our astronauts would likely start teaching those aliens Freemasonry, right? Or something <laughs> like that. And so just because the higher echelon Earth has to offer aliens would have these views doesn't mean uh, humanity as a whole shares them. And in fact, that's one thing that was fascinating about the atheist Carl Sagan's book, Contact, is that there's a preacher on there who opposes sending uh, that particular person to meet aliens because she's an atheist. And he says, therefore, she doesn't represent the majority of humanity. And I think that's a very important point. Yeah, yeah. So, Never I mean, thought about you it. know, aliens come here and they have high tech. So, what that what qualifies them to tell us to set us straight about our theology? Right, right. It that, doesn't make true. sense. That's true. And there, there seems to be, you know, so many of these things. You know, it's like the uh, the bumper sticker: everything's connected. And I'm sure you've would probably agree with me when you start to research the occult and a lot of these ancient beliefs and the secret societies, so many things do have a connection and it's, you know, you can almost follow the, uh, the path and, and, and connect everything. But I was reading, um, a book, uh, I think it's called the spirit of Freemasonry. I was, I did this series on Freemasonry on my show and I wanted to go deeper than most of the the Christian uh, researchers that I had listened to or read, I wanted to go deeper and mainly read from the actual Masonic texts and Masonic writers. So I was reading this book, Spirit on Freemasonry, and it was by uh, Foster Bailey, who was uh, Alice Bailey from uh, Lucius Trust's husband. And, you know, she was the big theosophist and everything. And, um, you know, most of it was just your kind of run of the mill uh, Freemasonry and this Brotherhood of Man and uh, things that you would read from, you know, like uh, Albert Mackey and Manly P. Hall and stuff like that. Of course, you know, Manly P. Hall can get pretty deep into the uh, mystical part too. But he says near the end, he starts talking about the star Sirius, the dog star, and how they believe, or at least he believes, and some Freemasons believe that we originally came from that star and that we're going to get back to that star. And when we get there, if there's life on that star, we will teach them Freemasonry. Wow, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it was pretty far out there. I, you know, I was, I was a bit surprised. It was right near the end. So he saved it till, till the last. <laughs> <laughs> Roped you all the way in and then hit you with that, huh? Right, right. Like we're going to have this brotherhood of man and we're going to take, take it to Sirius and, you know, have their, have their utopia, I guess their new Atlantis on, on Sirius. Sounds like what people say about Scientology is you you think you got into it to, to help you deal with your emotional and psychological issues. And next thing you know, you're in the middle of a space opera, quite, quite literally. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I found this, um, there's this, uh, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I go there, but it's kind of this oddities shop down from my house. And, uh, this guy gets all these just crazy, the craziest things you could imagine things you would see in like some kind of Jim Rhodes sideshow from the nineties, but he gets all these esoteric and occult books and he sells them for like three, three, books for $10 and you can't beat it if you can find some of the good books there. And I found a, a really, really old Scientology book and it has all of their terms in it. And it tells you what their, the term, each term means. And I thumbed through that thing. It's only about maybe 70 pages long. And it is so obvious that L. Ron Hubbard just made up words <laughs> to mean certain things uh, and took words that already had meanings and just gave them different meanings. It was just insane that people can, you know, be roped into 
that especially that particular um you know cult i would say because it is so far out there it's just mind-blowing that's actually an aspect that is pushed in scientology is that if you are reading something and you encounter a word you don't know you need to stop and look it up which is actually very important and good common sense as well right but yeah the, that's as a researcher that would be for me, part of the reason I definitely would want to do that because there's people who will use the same terms to mean very different things. Yes, I mean, absolutely. I remember I wrote a book about the Baha'i world faith and I ended up uh, writing a dictionary <laughs> within the book because I realized they're using so many words and giving their own meaning that I have to end up doing this so people can just have a easy reference to understand what they're saying. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's yeah. Because, you know, a lot of things, uh, just researching the Freemasonry, of course, they have, uh, words that, uh, have two or three meanings sometimes. And with the, uh, Scientology, it was, it, it just, uh, kind of surprised me because some of you know, he'll put two words together sometimes. And it's like, these words don't belong together, but yet he says they have a certain meaning. Uh, and it's just pretty amazing what he was able to do with that religion and, and make it such a, they're not, a, not really a religion. It's, it's a cult, but um, just to, to all these celebrities and just the money that, that, that it brings in, it's just, it's just mind boggling. Yeah. And um, I just recently researching for my latest book, I was reading somebody who was saying that um, uh, Stephen Greer might be the next L. Ron Hubbard. Oh, okay. You know, because the, the way I likened it in the book is, I don't know if, if you're aware of um, Alex Jones' uh, famous statement, and you'll pardon my terminology, but he talked about a turd in the punch bowl. You recall that off the top of your head? Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar. Please refresh me. Yeah. So he was talking about David Icke. And he says David Icke is like a turd in the punch bowl because Icke comes out with all this great information against the New World Order and exposing a lot of uh, very important and real things. And you're going along saying, yes, all right, this is great information. Thank you. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden he goes off about uh, shape-shifting rep reptilians and... That's why Jones said that's like the turd in the punch bowl. You know, you're uh, enjoying this refreshing punch, all this new information, and all of a sudden, boom, oh, what's this, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so it's kind of the same for me with Greer. It's like, okay, I have all these documents, okay. I've heard from government officials, okay. And I've uh, briefed government officials, okay, great. And all of a sudden, hey, now you can uh, join this, I don't know, I'm going to call it a cult, where we get together and we undergo ritualistic initiations to uh, summon aliens. Well, what happened there? <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> I mean, what, you know, all of a sudden it's like, okay, you know, I was following you along for the information and the uh, disclosure and also the important points he makes about energy. And all of a sudden, wait, wait a minute you want me to perform these occult rituals to summon quote unquote aliens? <laughs> Getting a little, yeah. Yeah. A little too far, my friend, <laughs> too far yeah. too soon. Right. You know, I kind of feel that way. Not that he's uh, actually starting a group like that, but uh, I kind of feel that way about the writings of uh, Jordan Maxwell. Oh, yeah. You know, he, he's, um, and he's really influenced a lot of people, but yeah, and he's not wrong about everything. You know, he, he I feel that he's correct about a lot of things towards uh, government and the way the government works and the, uh, you know, the, the shadow government and how that works in the background and things like that. But, you know, then he kind of twists, he'll, he'll twist the etymologies of words. And uh, sometimes he's correct on words, but others, he takes a lot of liberties. And uh, he says, you know, he's talked to these, I don't know if he refers to them as aliens or otherworldly beings, but I've, I've seen a couple of interviews where he said he did speak to them and he asked them not to harm him. And then I think he even said something like uh, he asked them if he could work for them or do their bidding or something like that. 
And I think this guy, you know, he's really old now. And of course he, he's revered in the truther community, but uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff the guy says is frankly, it's BS. You know, you really have to go through it with a fine tooth comb and, and uh, discern what is truth from fiction. Right. Like, like the old uh, claim about how, um, in the Bible, King Solomon is not an actual person, but it's three different words for son, S-U-N, right? Saul, Om, and On. Right. But it's like, dude, that's only in English. His Hebrew name is Shlomo. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and so Shlomo, you're not going to get uh, three words for son if, out of Shlomo. Uh, that's that's the kind of level of stuff we're dealing with, unfortunately. But yeah, I, actually, recently, I'm actually emailing you. Um, you don't have to look at it now, but I'm emailing you a link to something I put up on Twitter very recently, which is exactly him talking about how he got marching orders from Alien and that he oh, actually wow. dated an alien hybrid. Wow. That was his girlfriend. <laughs> well, I love it. I would, you know, I would like to do just a show on kind of debunking him uh, one day because he has said so many things that are untrue. I'm sure you probably know this, but for anyone who's listening to this or who will listen to this, you know, he got his name from a Helena Blavatsky book, uh, Isis Unveiled 2. There was a God in there, uh, Jordanus Maximus, Jordanus Maximus, I guess is how you pronounce it. So, um, you know, I do not trust anything that guy says. I mean, like I said, uh, there is some truth to some of the things he says, but uh, right. people need to really be cautious about him and uh, Zachariah Sitchin and uh, some of these yes. other guys. In fact, I just I was just looking on Twitter and I realized you replied uh, sending a reference to a book called Prophet of Zeitgeist, a critique of Jesus' mythicism and jo- of Jordan Marx- Maxwell by yes. Albert McKilhenny. Yeah. I, I, and I, you know, it's funny. That guy wrote, um, around the time of Zeitgeist, maybe a year or so after, that guy wrote a series of books. I think there's only one or two in print, but uh, he has the rest uh, you can get on Kindle. And I have tried to find that fellow because I've got three of those books and they're great. And one's just, you know, the one I sent you is just debunking uh, Jordan Maxwell, but uh, he takes on um, uh, the whole notion that Jesus was uh, just a a take on the sun God, different sun gods and different things like that. Uh, And um, I cannot find that guy. I don't know. He's just, uh, (laughs) I'd love to interview him, but I cannot find out how to reach him. Yeah, well, see, I mean, it's true of every, whatever you want to call them, truthers, conspiracy theorizers, or exposers, or whatever, where many of them, yeah, of course, they're coming out with a lot of really good and uh, apparently true information that exposes some interesting stuff, and then there comes that turd into the punch bowl, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're you're listening to Jordan Maxwell, and okay, that's true. Okay, I get that. Oh, that's useful. And then you go, wait a minute, this etymology stuff totally doesn't work. And all of a sudden, he's talking about getting marching orders from aliens. Whoa, 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 whoa! whoa. What what just happened here, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I've I've read. And I don't know if it's true. Uh, but you know, you had mentioned. Uh, I think you mentioned David Icke. Um, yes. Yeah, and, and, and he's kind of another one, you know, that I would fit into that category. And I think that uh, uh, he, Sitchin, and Maxwell are all uh, friends and have been uh, friends for quite a while from what I've read. But I, um, you just kind of wonder uh, about these guys. Are they, uh, are they working for some group to spread disinformation or are they just – you know, do they actually believe this stuff or, um, you know, are they disinfo agents? It kind of, you know, I mean, there's no real way to know, I guess. There isn't, except that when we look at them individually, most of them end up attempting to place themselves in the center of history, as it were, 
where, for instance, David Icke originally claimed he was uh, the return of Jesus. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Oh, yeah. You can go on YouTube any day of the week and just look that up. It's right there. Um, And Maxwell, right, saying that he was basically uh, the chosen vessel for these aliens and telling them what to do. And there's so many people who end up like that, like uh, L. Ron Hubbard, mm-hmm. uh, claiming that he had finally unlocked the secret to human health and happiness, you know, and, and, and emotional and spiritual and psychological health and, and you name it, uh, Whitley Strieber, you know, talking about how he, in a past life, he played an influential role in ancient Rome. And of course, he's been there, done that. He's, he conveniently ends up having memories of whatever's hip at the moment. Oh, I just remembered that I've been there. I've done that. I was on the moon. I was on Mars, actually. I saw the face on Mars. You know, I was there. All this. Wow. And, um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, all of them... Um, Again, whether they're attached to some kind of handlers or not, they all end up sort of um, drinking their own Kool-Aid, in a manner of speaking. Mm-hmm. Well, I do remember, I can't remember what podcast it was, but they talked about uh, Ike's first book and how uh, it was just straight up a New Age book, uh, promoting New Age beliefs. Um, and I, I remember thinking at the time that, um, I wonder if he is trying to, you know, purposely spread disinformation. Um, you know, because if you think about it, an intelligent person who is the least bit skeptical can tell that there are issues with government, uh, governments of the world, but especially the U S government, uh, you know, you can kind of see that there's problems and there's things where we've not been told and there, you know, just all these different, uh, issues and that's pretty easy. So if someone wanted to be a disinfo agent and, you know, they were the least bit skeptical or an insider, especially then they could easily point those things out and then add all these other things into you know, to even uh, confuse people further. So I think that, uh, you know, people definitely should uh, think about that. Uh, I know there's, um, and it's just a quick little uh, video that someone took, but it's a video of uh, Sitchin and and Maxwell uh, sitting beside each other, giving each other a handshake and they first do the normal handshake like you and I would give. And then they do one of the Freemason handshakes. And it's oh, so obvious. I, I've never seen, uh, you know, cause you try to see sometimes in pictures, are they given one of those Freemason handshakes? This was the most obvious one I've ever seen in my oh. life. And, um, after that, I kind of took a, uh, I kind of become obsessive there for a couple of weeks trying to look into Maxwell and, uh, I found out that uh, one of his assistants had, I guess Maxwell wouldn't pay him. This was, this was probably going back 10 years ago. And so this guy made a series of videos and I think they're still on YouTube. Uh, and he just kind of uh, tells you all kinds of things about Maxwell, but he said he, he is indeed a Freemason. Uh, but he had at one point he had a hidden camera in his pocket and he went to a diner with Maxwell and got Maxwell to divulge uh, this information. And Maxwell's sitting there feeding his face <laughs> like you can imagine he would and uh, talking about how he sold the rights to all his books and his videos to his former agent. For, and it was something like $20,000. not a lot of money for someone who has his name recognition. Um, and then uh, – he really was talking about talking about how he regretted it. Uh, and then he, he says plainly on there that somehow he got in touch with this fella from, I think he said somewhere from Africa. I can't remember specifically. And he was basically like a mafia type of guy from, from there. And the guy told him that he would get his, uh, the rights back to his, his work 
if he could give him something like ten thousand dollars. It was it was something that wasn't that much uh, for him, and uh, so he said he did it, and lo and behold, he got his rights back to all his work. But um, you know, I looked a little deeper, and I found that his former webmaster from uh, his old website corroborated what that assistant had said that he wouldn't pay them. You know, he was a, a Freemason that he was kind of a, a disinfo agent and really just in it to try to get attention and uh, to, to make a buck. So, you know, it's like I said, I think people can still find the, the assistant. Uh, and I'm talking, he did maybe 10 videos and they, they're each at least 30, 45 minutes a piece. So, if anyone's interested. Yeah, something similar talking about uh, African connections. One of uh, David Icke's mentors is named Credo Mutua. And he claims he was initiated into the Zulu mysteries by cannibalizing a human head. Wow. Just in terms of uh, the kind of caliber of guy you're going to have be your mentor, you know? Right. Oh, you cannibalized a human head to be initiated into Zulu mysteries. Yeah, what do you got for me? You know, and then uh, he claims that subsequently he's also eaten uh, alien flesh that temporarily gave him some kind of extrasensory abilities. And he also claims uh, he had uh, sex with an alien. By the way, well, that's a whole nother level. Yeah, um, but then he says. If you ever encounter an alien and you want to ward them off, right? You want to scare them off so they'll leave you alone. The best thing you could do is to start having sex with the person you're with. Oh. <laughs> I have a feel. I have a feeling he sees a lot of aliens. Uh, right, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and so you know, uh, it's almost like. Uh, yeah, whatever this guy says, David Icke says, okay, uh, I got that from the source, you know, the Zulus must know what they're talking about. And this guy who's been through that and said all these things, he's my guy. You know? Yeah. As far as Sitchin, um, back in the day, you know, when I could read books cover to cover quite easily, <laughs> <laughs> I probably read 10 or 11 of his books. And the unique thing about him is that he was in... Okay, he was allegedly in such an obscure field of ancient languages that there's not many people that could kind of meet him at that level, except I do know that Dr. Michael Heiser was qualified and did challenge him to a debate. And for about a decade, uh, Sitchin never took him up on it. Interesting. And so yeah. Michael Heiser ended up putting up a website called Sitchin is Wrong. Uh, I've and been he's on just that looking at it from a scholarly level. It's very simple stuff, really. It's like, well, Sitchin claims that in these ancient texts, it says this. Let's do a research of every known text in that genre and language, and it's not there. It's really like that basic, just when it comes down to it. Yeah. I've been on that website a couple of times, and... Uh, it's it's a great resource. Uh, Michael Heiser, I'm sure a lot of people still don't know about him. I don't I don't hear the name too often, except you know in in Christian circles, uh, French Christian circles. But well, he's a great. About, I hear it all the time, but just because I'm so involved in discussing issues related to angels, demons, Nephilim, giants, all that stuff, so I, right. I run into it all the time. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, he's a great resource. Um, and yeah, there's, there's just so much information out there, you know, of course, thanks to the World Wide web. Um, and, and it's, a, it, you know, people can really get overloaded really quickly. And um, I think, uh, I can't remember who I had on, I think it was uh, uh, a podcaster by the name of Jim Duke, but we were just talking about how um, when people first you know, there's a lot of people that are waking up that are kind of newly uh, are, are kind of uh, just realizing that things aren't quite the way we've been told in school and, and you know, with uh, news and pop culture. And, and a lot of people go straight to nihilism. You know, they become 
these nihilists who think that every single thing we've ever been told is incorrect. And, um, and I get that. I totally get that. And you really become so skeptical that you don't want to believe anything. But, uh, you know, after you've been in, you know, looking into things for a while, you start to kind of, uh, settle out of that and realize that, Oh, okay. I, I just need to pray for discernment and, uh, and really, uh, be vigilant in studying things. And that way, you know, you start to realize what has credibility and what doesn't. And, um, uh, I think a lot of these guys, uh, like Ike, um, really appeal to those people who have just become total nihilists. And, uh, you know, it's good, uh, for them to, look into people like you who have uh, such a wealth of knowledge and information. And, and uh, I can tell that you obviously do your research and uh, that's what people want, you know, when they're really, when they're waking up and uh, I've noticed that, that, you know, the average person, they don't want to read anything. They just want to be tune into their favorite uh, talking head and be told what to think. And as long as it kind of goes along with what they already believe, they're fine. But uh, a lot of people do want to uh, read and to, to um, you know, tune into people who they trust have researched things deeply. And I think that's very important nowadays, more than ever. It is, and. For me, it's kind of it, it became important for me to figure out what kind of um, person I am because, for instance, before I got married and had kids, I spent eight ten hours a day reading and writing because I had the time. Whereas, okay, well that changed. <laughs> yeah, right. So you kind of have to be aware of your time management, and then also there's I know a couple of people who seem to be genuine know-it-alls. And I don't mean that pejoratively. I mean, they do know a lot about a lot of stuff and that's just not me. Where mm -hmm. for me, if I'm going to open my mouth to talk about something, I'm going to make sure I know what I'm talking about. And for me, that means doing a ridiculous amount of focused research. Mm -hmm. So for instance, issue of Nephilim and Giants, I've written four to six books. It depends how you count them because mm -hmm. I wanted to specialize in that area and where there's people who friends or just anyone online will say, Hey, have you heard of this? Have you seen that? There's a video. Here's an article. Here's a this and that. And I'll tell them, maybe I'll get to that someday. But right now, since I'm focused on something else, I'm not even going to. And that comes finding people who are, seem to be reliable enough that, you know, if I really do want to know something um, from a reliable enough source, just so I can be aware of it, I'll go to these guys, get what I need right away, and then go back to what I'm doing. Because that's one thing I learned a long time ago is chasing every rabbit hole, um, chasing the rabbit down every rabbit hole. It's just, it can be easily overwhelming. And then you end up more with a surface level understanding of a lot of issues instead of a deep understanding of a few issues. Right. So for me, those, those are kind of my limitations. And they're also mental limitations. Like I, I have a hard time understanding something unless I've researched it in my new detail. And then I can finally get the big picture and then I end up writing a book because that helps me process it yeah. and put things into order. It's very therapeutic for me. And then afterwards, I could talk about it. I, I'm definitely not going to remember all the details, but at least I'll be able to give you an overview of the subject. And there's times where I've thought to myself, I know I wrote about this. Mm. I'm going to have to look at my own book to see what I wrote. I mean, <laughs> When, when it's it fantastic. Down, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so for me, it's just about what kind of person are you? Right. Um, are you able to really digest a lot of information about a lot of issues or are you better more at like finding a niche and focusing and be, becoming like an expert in that? Mm -hmm. And th that's been very important to just kind of realize I'm me. I'm not somebody else. It's like, uh, I really enjoy uh, working out with weights, right? Mm -hmm. well, people who start lifting weights tend to fall into 
um, a typical problem, which is you think to yourself, wait, uh, well, well, how do I learn about weightlifting? Oh, well, there's professional bodybuilders. Okay, I'll do what they're doing, what they're doing. Really? Me, Joe Average guy, I'm going to start working and eating like a professional bodybuilder. <laughs> <laughs> who's like 300 pounds and is also injecting all sorts of crazy drugs by the way i'm supposed to follow their advice and then you and i think okay that's not working for me i'm not like that yeah i i think that's great uh, advice because there's probably quite a few people out there that don't um have the courage to kind of step out and you know, either write a book or even just do research and write a blog or, or, or start a podcast. I know I wanted to start a podcast for months and I just, I didn't have the, the nerve to do it until really a stranger reached out to me and he said, look, you, you need to stop with these blogs. You, you've got so much to say, you need to do a podcast. And, and I don't know, it kind of clicked with me and I said, you know what, yeah. I'm going to try it. I'm going to finally try it. <laughs> but um, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that, need to understand what you just said they can pick a certain subject that they're interested in and focus on that and let that be their center of attention and then you know once they feel maybe that they've accomplished all that they can accomplish on that one subject then maybe perhaps they can move on to something else you know in fact the way i like to do it is if if i somehow latch on to a subject I'll tend to avoid anything anybody is saying about it and I'll just look at it myself and then I'll come to my own conclusions. And then when I think I'm done, then I'll look at people I find reliable to see what they said about it. So sometimes I go, Oh yes, you know, I missed this and Oh, that's a good point there. And then I can kind of just clean it up. But going through that process is very important. And, and part of it too is something we already touched upon that to me is actually incredibly important, which is to define terms that that can never be overlooked. I mean, even like uh, when we started talking about aliens and UFOs, what on earth does that mean? Right. We talked about mm -hmm. Nephilim and giants. What does that mean? We talked about uh, really anything we talk about. It's important to, to define the term and set the table for a discussion. Cause I can't tell you how many times, uh, people try to just sort of jump into the middle of a discussion with me and I have to fight so hard to get them to wait a minute, wait a minute. What do you mean when you say this? What are we even talking about? You know, why let's back up and understand what we're even supposed to be talking about. <laughs> I'm looking at your, uh, I'm looking at your website right now and I see, uh, I mean, all your books sound right up my alley, but um, I see here, Cain as serpent seed of Satan. Oh, yeah. And I see, I see volume one, two, three, four, five. <laughs> and I think that's awesome. That's fantastic. Cause that is such a controversy. Um, and my audience is going to be like, not again, but uh, <laughs> oh, I, well, that's, uh, that's great. If you've already dealt with it, cause it, it's a very obscure subject in a, in a way, but then when you get around people who are into it, it, it becomes very, very serious too. Well, I was going to say that um, my, I haven't really delved into it deeply as far as just that one um, subject, but I have mentioned it several times because um, this, there's this book that kind of changed my perspective uh, on um, really the, how the occult or at least how Freemasons and Rosicrucians look at the world. And uh, it was this book called uh, Freemasonry and Catholicism. And uh, the, the author is a, was a Rosicrucian named Max Heindel. And so in there, he says that they, the, the Rosicrucians and the Freemasons believe that mankind has been uh, wrapped up in this battle for the soul of, you know, the world. And really it all goes back to the lineage of Cain, which they of course believe um, that the, uh, that Eve was impregnated by the fallen angel, Samael. Uh, and that, uh, you know, they believe that, that Seth and Cain were only half brothers. So the world's been in, in this battle between the lineage of Seth and Cain. Have you heard that? Is that, is it, did that come up in your studies? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, 
that's where those five books came from. And incidentally, I wrote five of them because that's just how I am. If I'm going to look at this issue, I'm going to look at it from every conceivable angle. And, and that's why it turned into different, uh, into a series because there was so much to cover. Like what's the biblical data? Then one whole book is just about me discussing it with a person who believes that. So the whole book is just our, our uh, discussion, a guy named Zen Garcia. And then another one is just about how white supremacists have really abused that concept to be racists. And another one, you know, so there, I just kind of um, looked at it from every angle I, I could think of. But see, what's important here is that you said it's about how they look at the world, mm -hmm. right? Because, okay, if we say that the claim is that Eve had sex with the fallen angel Samael, that is how they look at the world. But then the other question is, is that really an accurate view of the world or the word in this case? Because for one, uh, Samael is a figure from rabbinic Jewish, Jewish uh, folklore. Um, that would be something you would find like uh, in a Targum from the 600s or something, which inserts that into the text of Genesis 3. Because uh, by, by definition, a Targum is not an Aramaic translation. It, it's a paraphrase. And so that's where that name comes from. Um, so biblically, it's the serpent, which we end up finding out is the devil or Satan. And he's actually not even a fallen angel. He's a fallen cherub. So yeah, the, the claim is just as you said it, but there's nothing to it in the Bible. That's just, it is not there. It doesn't exist. It just, there's, there's, it's totally convoluted. And what I found is that people who hold to that theory, they really like playing gotcha games. Like they'll ask a lot of gotcha questions. So if they ask you a question they perceive you won't be able to answer, then they gotcha. And I have the answer. And the answer is this serpent seed theory, which is not really uh, cogent. I mean, it's, it's a non sequitur, really. Maybe I don't have an answer, but that doesn't necessarily mean that your theory is validated. Mm -hmm. So for, for example, here's a good one. They'll ask you, hey, if Eve's sin had nothing to do with sex, then how come they suddenly realize they're naked and her punishment is pain in childbirth? If you don't know the answer, then aha, it's because the sin was sex, right? And then it makes sense. Yeah. When they state it that way, it makes sense. Um, as long as you forget Genesis 4.1, which specifically states that Adam knew his wife and she conceived and, and bare Cain. <laughs> it's that simple. Right. But then you need to think about, well, what, what is it that we're told about Eve? not very much. I mean, we're told that she ends up being called the Eve because she's the mother of all living. So then you think, well, if we're so, if we're told so very little about her, then it's important to really take seriously and incorporate the little bit that we are told about her. So if we're told that she's the mother of all living, then we understand why her curse would have something to do with pain in childbirth. Mm. It's just like Adam. If, um, incidentally, uh, isn't this interesting? If eating the fruit of the forbidden tree is symbolic of sex with Satan, well, guess what? Adam also ate of that same exact fruit. So what does that tell you? Right? Right. Um, but why was his curse to uh, have to really labor hard and work the ground to have it produced for him? Well, because the little bit we're told about Adam is that, well, the way I put it is his hobby was gardening. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a hobby. Uh, but 
his curse was now you're actually going to have to work the land. You're really going to have to work it to get it to produce for you. So again, the little bit that we're told about them is connected to their curse. And um, so what ends up happening is you get this um, concept of a wicked line of Cain versus a righteous or holy line of Seth, right? Mm-hmm. But that's biblically uh, a myth. It's it's not there. It doesn't exist. I mean, there's nowhere in the Bible that it tells you any such thing, that all Cainites were somehow wicked or corrupt or evil, and Sethites were all uh, righteous and holy, um, especially for people who take that point of view and then read it into Genesis 6 where they say the sons of God are actually Sethites who were the righteous line who all of a sudden decided to become sinners for some odd reason. So it, none of it makes sense. But again, it's, it's about how they look at the world. They're reading the, these man-made myths into their interpretations of history and reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that makes complete sense and, and you know it's 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 amazing when you do start to look into a lot of these occult beliefs because so many of them take parts of the bible and twist them for their ideologies you know you know i never knew that uh when i was younger um i just knew that they weren't christian you know and uh, but then once i got to just really in the last you know six seven years look into these things I've just been amazed at how they do take certain parts from the Bible and twist them. And, and like you were saying with uh, the Freemasons and King Solomon, you know, what they try to do with his name and split it up in those three different uh, names. And, um, and that's just one thing, you know, of course, they, they, there's just dozens and dozens of things that they've tried to twist from the Bible and, and, and turn into their own legends. And um, so many people take that, you know, they, they believe those things are real and it kind of just goes right back to, um, you kind of like the way Jordan Maxwell twists words, they twist things. And then people that don't know any better are like, Oh yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Now I understand that. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things in life where people are so easily fooled if they don't uh, equip themselves with, uh, the knowledge and, uh, they can really be taken if they don't have the discernment and haven't put the time in to research. 